Amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me again to 1 Peter, chapter number 2, and uh, let's pick up in verse number 6. If you remember from this morning in verse 4 and 5, we looked and we saw that Christ is the living stone, and then we saw that we are lively stones. In other words, God is building a spiritual house, a spiritual building, And that spiritual house, that spiritual building is to be the habitation of God. And he builds it with you and I, the born-again child of God, with Christ being the cornerstone. And Christ setting, if you will, the mark or setting the foundation through truth of everything that God does. So as God works in your life and my life and our lives together, it's all centered on the truth and it's all centered on Christ being the cornerstone. Then we saw that we are a holy priesthood. And we saw the glorious privilege of what that means this morning. And then look at verse 6. Wherefore, given all that truth, also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Now here's a peculiar statement. I'll deal with it at the end. Whereunto also they were appointed. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you glorify yourself and magnify yourself. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to look at the prophecy of Scripture. He uses and he quotes here Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. He quotes this in verse 6. He said, wherefore also it is contained in Scripture. And that's where it's given to us. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner stone. Now, here's the thing. As we saw this morning, we saw that Christ is the cornerstone, or the capstone as they would call it in that day, of the spiritual house, the habitation of God, And if you remember this morning, I said to you, it's a picture of the temple, and yet not a physical temple because you and I become the temple. And God is building, continuing to build, continue to develop his spiritual temple. Now, remember I showed you this morning, 1 Corinthians 3, the temple is picturing the church. But yet in 1 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 6, it pictures the individual believer. And so the individual believers make up these lively stones which make up the church, which make up the habitation of God. And so each of us are indwelt, and therefore as we come together, we're attached together. As I showed you Wednesday night and showed you again this morning, we are jointly fit together in one family unit. As God has separated and placed us in a family unit together, And we are separated as a family unit together, and God has fitted us together. And as God fits us together in this family unit, then God fits the churches together 
in his one body. And that's what takes place. Now, here's the thing. As we look at this, you're going to find he's going to go down some ground that you think that he's repeating. But I want to say to you, he's changed the subject. And you say, what do you mean? Because he's going to say again, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. You say, well, preacher, he's already said that. Yeah, but this has a whole different dimension. Because before it was talking about the building of the habitation of God. Now it's talking about the essence or the totality of your Christianity or your Christian life. So I want you to look first at Christ, the cornerstone. When he used this quotation from Isaiah, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner. So in other words, it's God that laid the chief stone. It is God that laid Christ as the cornerstone of all of Christianity and all of Christian living. Now you say, well, preacher, what exactly are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. A cornerstone of a building, as I referred to this morning, is the basis which the whole building was built. It becomes, if you will, in modern-day vernacular, the plumb line of the building. In other words, if the cornerstone is off, the whole building would be off. Well, I got news for you today. What makes Christ the chief cornerstone for your Christian living and my Christian living is this. He is not off in one aspect. And he is the chief. What do you mean chief? The cornerstone above all cornerstones. There is not another one but him. And so he is the one that God has laid. Now to be that, here's the truth. To be a cornerstone of a building, you have to be perfectly fitted. As I said this morning, they would hand chisel out these stones. And when they would hand chisel out these stones, they had to be perfectly molded. They had to be perfectly shaped. In other words, there couldn't be in any way, shape, or form a blemish in the stone. And so they had to be perfectly fitted. And they had to be perfectly flawless. How many of you agree today that Christ was perfectly fitted for our need? How many of you agree today Christ was perfectly flawless, therefore he could make the provision for our need? He knew no sin. And listen, when you have a cornerstone that has a crack in it, I'm going to tell you, the whole building's in trouble. And so Jesus Christ alone, Jesus Christ only could be for us the corner, the plumb line of our Christian life and our Christian living. And he and he alone could be that for us. Now, the problem is we live a day today where we are teaching people that they can have Christ plus. And I got news for you. It's Christ and nothing else. And so we teach people the Christian living. I mean, here's what we teach people in America. Do your best, and God will do the rest. Christ plus. But yet God says, without me, you can do. Christ is the plumb line. He is what makes the Christian life the Christian life. 
He is what makes the Christian life stay upright. He is what makes the Christian life be a witness. He's what makes the Christian life be livable. Christ is, God laid Christ as the chief cornerstone. Now, notice the second thing here. Not only do you see Christ the cornerstone, but Christ the choice stone. Now, I want you to see this with me. Because he says here in verse 6, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. The word precious means simply this, to be unequaled in value, or if you would, it can be translated this way, irreplaceable. How many of you agree today that Christ in the Christian life is irreplaceable? But here's the picture. Why did he use the term, I lay in Zion? I mean, why didn't he say, I lay on the temple mount? Or I, I, I mean, he could use so many other terms. But he said, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone. Well, for you that are here, were here on Wednesday nights, you remember in Hebrews chapter 12, we looked at a contrast between Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. And when we looked at that contrast between Mount Zion, you remember it says we were in Mount Sinai, but now we are at Mount Zion? And what is that contrast? Well, it's the law versus grace. It's the old covenant versus the new covenant. And so what is God saying here? He said, I've laid the groundwork, I've laid the foundation, and I've placed the chief cornerstone for the new covenant being what? The new covenant is this. In the Old Testament, it was man trying to perform for God. In the new covenant, it's God writing the law upon the heart of man whereby God in man enables man to be obedient to his call. And he says, I lay in Zion. I lay the cornerstone for the new covenant. I lay the foundation for the new covenant. He said, I lay my precious, elect, and chosen son to be the plumb line for the covenant in which you and I entered into in our salvation. You see, here's the thing. When God saved you, it was all centered in Christ. But as God sanctifies you, it's still all centered in Christ. And whenever we try to go out and try to do it our own way, what we're doing is we're doing it in spite of the cornerstone that God laid. This is what he's saying here. Now, this is the prophecy that was given to us in Scripture. But I want you to see, secondly, not only the prophecy of Scripture, but the peace of the saved. Well, watch verse 6. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, I want you to see three things here. Number one, it's a conditional promise. He that believeth on him. So in other words, here's what he's saying. Now I'm going to get into this word a little deeper in a minute. But let me just for time's sake, let me say this. He that believeth on me, what does that mean? He that surrenders to him in faith. In other words, it's not a mental assent about him. It's a surrendering of our old, old being to him. In faith. He said, he that believes on him. So who is this promise for? Only those who have surrendered themselves in faith unto Christ as Lord. Because remember what the Bible says in Romans. 
He that confesses Jesus Christ as what? Lord. And so we surrender to him as servant unto Lord. And that's what belief means in Scripture. That's what faith really is. And so he said, here's the condition to this promise. But now, watch this, because this gets so good to me. Maybe it's just me. But it's a certain promise. You say, what do you mean? Notice what he says in verse 6. Shall not be confounded. So here's what he's saying. He says there's a certainty that is promised. And he that has surrendered themselves in faith, in trust to him, shall not, let me translate it in the Greek, shall not ever, ever be confounded. How many of you agree today that if you are in Christ, you will never, ever be confounded? And so there's a certainty to this promise. But there's a confident promise. What's the word confounded mean? Some have translated it this way, to be disappointed. Some have translated it this way. I think this is the best definition. To place your hope in something or someone... And having that hope dashed. Here's what he says. God has laid in Zion the plumb line for your Christian life. The centerpiece of your Christian life. The part of your Christian life that all your Christian life is built upon. The person of the Lord Jesus. And when you surrender to him by faith, here's what he says. You will never, ever, ever have your hope dashed or be disappointed in him. Isn't that a glorious promise? Folks, I want to tell you something. People are clinging to any and every little thing they can find to find peace and hope and happiness. And I got news for you. You can't find it anywhere else but in the chief cornerstone, and his name is Christ Jesus. And when you put your faith in Christ, here's the reality. Nothing, no circumstance, no tragedy, no event, no, no disappointment of life, no, listen, no family problems, no work trouble will ever cause you to be disillusioned about your faith in Christ. It's a confident promise. This is what he's telling us here. And so you see the prophecy of Scripture. Then you see the peace of the saved. Oh, but in verse 7. Whew, boy, does it change. Notice the peril of the sinner. I want you to see this because this is a unique thing. This is one of the best verses to describe what biblical believing really means. Look what he says in verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But, contrast, but unto them which be disobedient. So he's contrasting what? He's given a contrasting truth here. Between them that have believed who will never ever be confounded. Why? Because they have put their trust and their faith in Him and all affection of Him being precious. In other words, 
As God saw Christ as irreplaceable, as God saw Christ as of greater value than anything that could ever be, Here's the picture. When you and I put our faith in Christ, there's such an affection, a love that develops in our hearts that we see Christ as God sees Christ and we see him as irreplaceable in our life and we see him as the centerpiece of our life. I'll say it this way. We see him as our life. He is precious. But notice the contrary. But unto them which be disobedient. Now, if you can make a proper contrast, you have to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. Do you not? Say amen. So why did he use the term believe in the beginning of verse 7? and disobedient to the contract. I mean, why didn't he say, to you that believe he is precious, but to them that don't believe? Well, that is what he's saying. But all he's doing is defining what belief is. See, a lot of people say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. But there's no evidence of obedience in their life. They've never believed. They may have believed in the facts about Christ, but they've never placed their faith in Christ. And so we contrast here. Now, let me prove this to you, okay? How many of you agree today that if you're trusting Him and you see Him as God sees Him, irreplaceable, precious, beyond value, you're going to have an affection and a love for Him you can't quench. Do you agree with that? Say amen. All right, so now watch the scriptures. John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. Now, who's he talking to? The religious of that day. The religious, the Jews of that day. I mean, the religious leaders of that day. If you, if God were your father. Now, can you imagine? Here are the religious leaders of that day. Here's what, how they see themselves. We're the only one that has the favor of God upon us. We're the apple of God's eye. You say, do they still believe that? They do. You say, how do you know? Go to Israel with me, bump into one of them, see what they tell you. I had a preacher friend of mine bump into one on the airport. Here's what that Jewish lady looked at him and said, pardon me, I'm one of God's chosen ones. I told you this before. Of all the people she could have bumped into, he was the last one. You say, why? Because he turned to her and said, pardon me, I'm one of God's children. (laughs) But see, their mindset was that they were the only people that were the apple of God's eye. And Jesus, no wonder they wanted to kill him. Jesus said to them, if God was your father, you would love him. Now remember, The greatest commandment they had to quote every day of their life. You will love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You asked the Jew if they love God. Oh, yeah, we love God. We're zealous. We fast three three times. We we pray three times a day. We fast. We give 33 and a... Oh, boy. Y'all hold your pocketbook. We give 33 and a third percent tithe every year. 
Y'all do know that's Jewish law. He said, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. He planted me. You say, well, preacher, how's that got anything to do with me? John 14, Jesus talking to his disciples. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So here's Jesus' definition. Who are those that believe he is precious? That love him because of the preciousness of who he is. Those that are obedient to the truth. Acts 6, 7. The word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. I want you to see a phrase that is used here for them. These disciples that were bringing, being brought into the faith. And a great company of priests were obedient to the what? Faith proved itself out. And obedience. Proved itself out to be real. So now look at the contrast. To him that believes he is precious. But to them that are disobedient. See, he's saying the same thing, but on opposite ends. Because obedience is the outflow of love, and obedience is the outflow of faith. Well, you see here a contrasting truth. You see a central truth. He goes down the ground he went through this morning, so I'll just touch on it. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So who were these that were disobedient? Who were they disobedient to? The very one God made to be the chosen, precious stone. So their disobedience, listen, was directly against God's provision for them. They looked at him. They examined him. He's not our Messiah. And God says, He's your only hope. He's your only provision. He's the only thing I'm going to give you. But he's the only thing I need to give you. And so when someone is disobedient, somebody in their lostness, who have never truly surrendered their faith unto the Lord, because it's proved out in their lack of obedience, here's what he says. You have done it against the very one, the only one that I have provided for you. If you were about to lose your life and there was only one gift that could save your life, And every one of us in here were in the same boat. I wonder how many would trample down the other to get to the gift. 
but yet Christ was the chief cornerstone. He was the one hope, the one gift. And they said, no, that's not him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Well, watch this. Thirdly, you see a catastrophic truth. Look at verse 8. This one they disallowed, this one that was made the head of the corner, this one that you and I believe to be precious, this one that is elect, this one is the chief corner, and the one through which you'll never be confounded. This one becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at the word. Once you see three things here, the deception to truth. What does it mean, a stone of stumbling? Here's what it means. You're traveling down a dirt, rocky road, and you don't see a stone in your path. And in the deception of your mind, you think you're walking on solid ground. And all of a sudden, you trip over the stone. That's what the word means. Here's what he's saying. The chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the truth made flesh. He is to many. A stone through which they are deceived about. But yet a stone that they can't get around. And a stone that the only way they can proceed is to trip over. But then he says, but not just a stone of stumbling, but a rock of offense. Notice the disposition to truth. What does this rock of offense mean? Here's what it means. It doesn't mean a stone in a pathway to trip over. Here's what it means. It means a stone that falls and crushes. Can I tell you something? The one thing about truth is there's no way around it. Now, here's what most people do. Most people go to the Bible to prove what they believe instead of letting the Bible conform what they believe. But can I tell you, there's no way of getting around truth. And here's what it says, that those who had disobedient the truth, the chief cornerstone, the, Christ, the life of Christ lived out through truth of the Word, through obedience of a believer, it becomes something in which the unbeliever the disobedient trip over they can't get around but yet at the same time it eventually becomes something that will crush them and they'll become offended at now listen to what i'm about to say you don't have to be a cold stone drunk to get offended at the word you can be a good church member and be offended at the word. You say, preacher, that's an awful strong statement. 
Well, guess who got offended at Christ and his truth? The religious of the religious of that day. How offended did they get? The truth was crushing Judaism. The truth was crushing their self-righteousness. The truth was crushing their excuse. The truth was crushing their idea of their perfection. And here was their solution. Let's kill it. In other words, they would rather get rid of the truth than yield to the truth. I had a member one time tell me this. Not here, so don't try to think of who it is. They said, preacher, we're leaving and we're going to another church. I said, okay. And I asked why. They said, yes. Because every time you preach, I get convicted. And I'm tired of it. You say, preacher, what would you say to him? I said, I hope you find a place that makes you feel good. That's what they were wanting. Because see, truth was inhibiting them to live in their self-centered mindset. It's crushing them. Well, this stone that God laid in Zion, not only is the truth of Christ going to be deceptive, people are going to be deceived about him, but it's going to cause a disposition of very much Offense towards him. But notice the third thing, the downfall due to truth. Even to them that stumble at the word, being disobedient. Now the word stumble here is a little different word than before. Here's what it means. Before it means to trip over. How many agree you can trip over and not fall? But here's what this word means. To utterly fall. Here's what it's speaking of. Notice the progression we have here, okay? Here's the progression. The first progression is this. They trip over the truth because they can't get around it. The second progression is truth begins to crush their mindset concerning what they believe. And then the third progression is what? They fall And they can't get up because truth won't allow them. They have nowhere to turn. By the way, this one's talking about judgment. Luke chapter 20, verse 17 and 18. Listen to what the Lord said. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But whomsoever it shall fall, the stone fall upon them 
It will grind him to powder. So you see here the peril of the sinner. You see the contrasting truth, the central truth, the catastrophic truth. And then lastly, and I'm done, the condemning truth. Watch what he says at the bottom of verse 8. Whereunto also they were appointed. Now, I'm going to deal with this text the way it's laid out. Because I don't want anybody walking out of here saying that I tried to get around something. Okay? Are you all with me? Say amen. amen. All right, now. If you look at verse number 7, where it says, Them that are disobedient, present tense. Them that are disobedient and continue habitually be disobedient. All right, if you look at verse number 8, it says, Them that stumble at his word being disobedient, present tense. Them that habitually, continually are disobedient. Then you get to the bottom of verse 8, and it says, Them which are appointed, aorist tense. Something said in the past, never to be repeated. You say, what does that mean? It means God appointed them to fall. But don't get the wrong idea. God didn't choose some and choose others. So what did God appoint to fall? Everyone that would stumble and be offended and disobey his word. God laid the groundwork that judgment would only fall upon those that would not see Christ, the chief cornerstone, laid in Zion as precious, irreplaceable, no other hope but him. And God appointed judgment for everyone. that the truth of Christ would cause them to fall, to be crushed. Now, here's the thing. You say, preacher, Christ ain't here anymore preaching. He's not. Christ ain't here anymore to show the character and nature of God. Bodily, he's not. So how does this truth play out in our day? The day God saved you, God laid within your Zion the chief cornerstone. He wrote on your heart the law of God. He gave you a desire that you couldn't escape. And obedience of faith become the outflow of your life. And people see that obedience. And they don't see it in them. And sometimes they get offended. Sometimes it trips them up. You ever had somebody come to you? And say, can I ask you a question? Why are you so different? Tripping them up. But here's the thing. If they see enough of Christ in you, could they reject him to the point of falling under that truth and be crushed? Yes. But could they also be groundwork through which the Holy Spirit could bring conviction in their life whereby God could plant within them 
the life of his son, the chief cornerstone. And their Christian life would begin because the cornerstone's been laid. See, most of us think obedience is just for us. It's not. Is there benefits to our obedience? There is. How many agree you can't have intimacy with God and be disobedient? How many agree you can grieve and quench the Spirit of God in you if you're disobedient? But why does God want intimacy? Why does God want obedience? Because He only has one way to let a lost and dying world see that they got the wrong cornerstone and their building is out of whack. And that's to see a proper cornerstone. In you and in me. Father, I stand amazed, I stand in awe of your truth and your word. Father, of the privilege, the privilege to be jointly fit one with another, but jointly fit with you. You have molded us and shaped us to be perfectly fit with Christ in our salvation. And in this new covenant, in this new life that we have, yes, when Christ is seen in us, there'll be some that'll trip, there'll be some that'll be offended, there'll be some that, yes, will even fall. But Father, how many will begin to look down at the road in front of them. And when they find a stone that would cause them to stumble, it would bring conviction to them. And instead of tripping over it, they would ask, what is this stone for? Father, would you use us in this way? For your honor, your glory, and your namesake. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said.